Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I have come here to chew bubblegum and podcast, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Is that the most quotable line in modern pop culture history? I don't know, but it was apparently remembered and ad-libbed on the set for Marathi Piper's Wrestling Salad Days. It's trivia gems like that you're going to get here on I Was There Too, the show where I, Matt Gourley, talk to people present in the great scenes of cinema history. Today, Peter Jason from the John Carpenter cult classic, They Live. Look, I'm going to be honest, we don't even talk about They Live all that much. I try to get it back on track, but Peter Jason has so much to say in such a wonderful way, I didn't even want to try to corral him. This film has built a life for itself as a pretty... Is this the most fun you can have with a political action sci-fi horror thriller? I think so. It spawned the Shepard Fairy Obey posters. It has the longest fight in an alley for one guy trying to fight another guy to put sunglasses on. It's a real short movie that somehow still manages to really take its time. Consider the aliens in this film. Their true physicalities are revealed by the sunglasses. It shows us that their human faces are fake. But interestingly enough, their voices are still human-sounding, and more importantly, their hair remains decidedly 80s. But even that's in line because they all go from real hair to wig hair. And as you may know, I have perfect wigdar. Peter Jason has a million stories to tell about They Live, about Deadwood, about meeting and working with Orson Welles, where he says, quote, I got T-boned by the big O. There's a really great story about how Peter Jason met his daughter. He plays a hell of a mouth trumpet. And even though we start talking about They Live, it quickly turns to a philosophical conversation about the levels of godhood in David Milch's much-not-remembered John from Cincinnati. This interview goes everywhere, and I loved every part of it. It even starts not on track with Peter Jason, and I can't exactly remember why, beginning the interview with a monologue from classical theater. I think I'll just leave it at that and begin this interview with this. And 
curtain. The film, They Live, and some other things. The year, 1988. The role, Gilbert, the resistance leader. The actor, Peter Jason. By good advice and to a prince, three things he hath commanded. First, is that he hath government and ruleth over men. Secondly, to rule with law. Eke justice, say thee then. Thirdly, he must well conceive he may not always reign. Law that's rule and true a prince, Agathon squared plain. Sister of the wise, whose sapience and volumes great doth tell, who in the wisdom of that time did many men excel a prince, saith he, is of himself a plain and speaking law. The sage and witty Seneca, his words thereto did frame. The honest exercise of king's men will ensue the same. Contrarywise, if that a king abuse his kingly seat, his ignominy and bitter shame and fine shall be more great. In Persia there reigned a king, whose Cyrus hide by name, who did deserve as I to read the lasting blast of fame, for he, when sisters three had sought to shear his vital thread, as heir apparent to the crown, Cambyses did proceed. He and his youth was reared up by fate of virtue's loin, yet being king, did clean forget his perfect grace before. Did you get that? Mm-hmm. This is Peter Jason, my guest, and I was there too today. <laughs> Peter, I, one of the first things I ever did was Shakespeare, and for some reason, that type of verse stays with me as well. We were talking about how we don't remember lines that well, but the early ones, especially the ones in verse, stay with us. Well, I think uh, the memory bank was uh, clean in those days. That's right, yeah. It's... Now you got to move stuff <laughs> over to get the new stuff in, and it's like, uh, it's a little crowded in there. Those lines are grandfathered in. Like, they they get to stay. The other ones those have to fight stone. for supremacy. That's right. <laughs> the other stuff is a papyrus. <laughs> Well, Peter, Jason, we have a million things to talk about today. We're going to start with They Live because it's such a cult classic. A I was in that? Love. You were. Fantastic. I, I've got some other revelations for you today. Oh, great. <laughs> First of all, I just want to ask you a serious question. I don't suppose you've still got a pair of those They Live sunglasses sitting around, do you? You know, I stole a box. Seriously? <laughs> God, we could use them today. I don't know who yes, to trust. Yes, we could. Yes, we could. And uh, John has several boxes of them in the warehouse. I know I've been up there and seen them. Do you know? You know what you could. Each one of those could fetch on eBay. A pair of those. I think we got a business proposition. Okay, it's, wait. You're letting me it's in. Blooming on this? Okay, right here, I'm right in. now. Yeah, uh, I I wouldn't know how to uh, do it, but I'll be yours. First one's free. Okay. <laughs> You've got 244 credits to your name, according to IMDb. You've been in everything. You're such a memorable actor. Um, I want to talk about sort of your process, especially in terms of how you worked with John Carpenter. You play the resistance leader Gilbert in They Live. How much did he give you about your character, the backstory of the aliens? Was it for you to develop? He seems like kind of a terse fella. You know, John is really a smart guy. I believe it. And uh, I'm a dumb guy. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think he just would feed me as much information as I needed to hit my mark and give him the reaction that he wanted. Oftentimes with uh, intellectual directors, writers – that uh, that I, they are beyond me, and I I don't know. I have to ask, what am I doing here? Like I I, I did I did a show. I don't know if you saw uh, John from Cincinnati. I definitely saw that. I'm such a Milch fan. Oh that well, I watched me, me too. And Milch is like the smartest living human. And, He's uh, alien smart. Alien smart. And uh, uh, three heads. And he and uh, I had to play this guy who was. Uh, well, it's a big speech. I was a used car salesman, and I'm and and and, and I'm talking to John, and uh, and then a couple of guys were going to buy a car, and and uh, this speech, I'm, I, it's just all over the place. And I, I, I said, David, what am I doing in this? You know, <laughs> and he said, Well, you have to understand that there's a hundred levels of God, 
That's what he opened with? John is on level one. You are level 38. <laughs> and, and he says, so you start off, you're, 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 you're maintaining him. You're trying to control him. And then you're going to sell the cars to these other guys. That's on another level. But then when, you, when it gets con- convoluted, you, you, you start railing at your God, which is the mountains and the sky. And uh, I don't know what he was even talking yeah, about, but it was so that? much fun to play yeah. because you got to – he actually put uh, specific uh, uh, feelings and thoughts into each one of those different levels so you could actually – Play that. Was there a chart you could reference on level? 38? No, you're just you're you know you're just uh, kind of like what we're doing right now. You know, we're just winging it. <laughs> I had Paula Malcolmson on the show, who of course was oh, in love of my life. with you, She's but also John from Cincinnati. And I asked her what was the general gist of what was going on in that show, and she said, "I have no fucking idea." <laughs> Do you have any idea where that show is headed, who John was? You know, I, I think if, if they'd given, given David a chance to continue his saga, uh, we would have found out who everybody was and why they were doing what they were doing. But uh, I, I believe he's the only one that knew. Yeah. Because well, everyone I've talked to in all levels of that production uh, didn't know. The fact that you said that John was a level 38 god is more information than I've ever been able to get about that show. So that at least goes for something. No, no, John was level one. <laughs> oh, John was – I was way above him. Oh, I was level were? 38. Oh, my God. I apologize. There's a hundred levels of god. <laughs> what a, I was a third of the way. <laughs> what a cosmic faux pas I just made. Right now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, so speaking of interdimensional beings and that sort of thing, do you have any idea who these aliens in They Live were supposed to be? Because it's left intentionally vague. Well, not to get too political, but uh, John liked to always uh, refer to uh, the uh, the ghouls or aliens uh, as uh, Republicans. That's right, the Reaganite <laughs> Republicans, which you're the resistance leader. kind of makes you like the Leonard Brezhnev of the time or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was Ed Asner. <laughs> That's better, yeah. Ed Asner with a Bernie floater. <laughs> was it fun making that film? It seemed like it would have Absolutely. Been a lot of fun. Thanks to people like Raymond St. Jacques, who, uh, God rest his soul, was uh, uh, playing a blind man. Yeah. And I had to lead him around yeah. the, the church because, you know, he's blind. And. Uh, <laughs> And he would grab my ass or do stuff, to, you know. All, just he's just he's just a bad boy, you know. Was he? He's just a naughty boy, and so much fun to be around. And uh, Keith David, oh, he's one of my favorite was, actors, and he's a great singer. And he was and he's writing this show. I, I don't know if he's done it yet, but he was playing Nat King Cole. Oh. So <laughs> he would be he would be. Uh, there was a boy, <laughs> a very strange, enchanted boy. You know, he was doing that in between. <laughs> In between that 80-hour fight scene yeah. and and, uh, and other things. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, Ro- and Rowdy Roddy, who, uh, God rest his soul. I know. Yeah. Uh, who I didn't know. I'm not a wrestling fanatic, and so I didn't know anything about wrestling. And uh, Gorgeous George, I think, was the last wrestler I remember <laughs> when I was seven. Oh. And... Uh, but John is a huge fan, and I went down for my fitting downtown L.A. for my first uh, for my first fitting, and uh, the, it was the, on day one, and I didn't start till like day five or something, and and uh, all the trailers were down, you know, where where we're shooting downtown L.A. where John likes to shoot, and there was this one trailer with about a hundred people, kids and stuff, standing around in front of it, and I went over to Sandy, Sandy Carpenter, Sandy. 
John's wife and, and who was producing it. And I said, what's the deal? What, what's going on over there? Are you giving away money or what? What's? <laughs> she said, oh, no, that's Roddy Roddy's uh, trailer. They're waiting for an autograph or a photo or a sighting. And I went, who's, who's Rowdy Roddy? <laughs> she said, he's the wrestler. I went, he's a wrestler? And, 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 yeah. And, uh, <laughs> who, why is he so famous? Well, he's the bad guy. He's, uh, he's the one in the skirt. I went, oh, the Scottish guy in the skirt? Yeah. Oh, oh. He's been stabbed twice in the back by, rabid fans for real for real I didn't in that. two different parking lots he was stabbed in the back jeez in the wrestling world you do have to ask for real you know i mean cuz it could have yeah, been yeah you do been fake. well this really was happened, not on huh? stage it was after the show no so huh. somebody uh believed the uh the headlines. I was never a huge wrestling fan either, but I was so aware of Roddy Piper too because he was my favorite. And he actually, um, right before he passed away, was working in the podcasting world. And two days before he died, I shared the elevator in this building with him. And it was a nice little uh, moment. But w- what a sad Sweetheart, loss. though. Yeah, he was a like sweetheart. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so – I noticed too when you first appear in the film, you're in the shanty town. They're handling an old chair. Is this a coincidence? Because from what I understand, you build furniture yourself. Is that true? <laughs> well, I call it playing with wood. <laughs> I, I was uh, I was pathetic uh, in wood shop. Uh, I grew up down in uh, Newport Beach. Went to Newport Harbor High, and you have to take uh, wood shop, you know, and. Uh, I actually failed one semester of woodshop because I had to make a gun rack. I don't even have a gun. Yeah, well, in Newport Beach, yeah. you're, you're making a, a gun, gun rack. Yeah, for my – why do I have to make – well, because that's what we're doing. Oh, great, fine. You know, so I just threw some pieces of wood together and slammed it up and then turned it in, and I said, here it is. He took a red pencil and put a shave it down, ship it up, turn it down, send it down, bring it back. And I went, it's done. I made it. That's the way I want it. He went, well, here, that's what you got, an F. And he failed me. So I didn't care. It was wood shop, you know. And, um, but years later, when I, uh, I got sober at the, at a, in the early days of my life, age 37, uh-huh. and uh, I'm a product of the 60s. So <laughs> it, it did take its toll on some of us. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the cocaine dealer had all my furniture. <laughs> so I had, uh, I, had to, I had to start making some chairs and tables for my uh, little stupid apartment. Out of cocaine? Out of no money. I oh. had no money. I had broke and I was pathetic. So I started collecting Christmas trees that people would throw away. And I cut off all the branches and keep the stalks. And I, and I uh, used broomsticks uh, uh, that people would throw away and mop handles and stuff for dowels. And uh, no nails. And I just started making chairs. And tables and stuff out of, I call my style early Beowulf. (laughs) And uh, but I, you've got these like seasonal found object Douglas fir furniture pieces in your home. Well, whatever you threw away is what uh, my stuff's made out of. Oh my god! And uh, I've just found wood, yeah, basically pallets. Yeah. Great hard, it's new hardwood, but it's hardwood, <laughs> you know. And I'd, I'd, I'd rip apart pallets, and uh, they have these 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 nails that they shoot into them that are like t- 
turned. Very difficult to get out. So you have to kind of saw the wood there uh-huh. at the nail. But, uh, yeah, you can piece them together, dowel them together, glue them together, and, uh, uh, you know, make a table. Make, Are these uh, pieces still in your home, any of them? I've given away a ton of it, but really? I'm actually making a, a, a table right now out of uh, uh, several different kinds of hardwoods. And... Uh, uh, it's therapy for me, you know. <laughs> That's how I feel. I like to do it too. But do you realize the cottage industry you could have of selling these sunglasses and your found wood <laughs> pieces? <laughs> you need a business manager. <laughs> when I get Did to you? be Betty White's age and I retire, I'll start selling all my furniture. Uh, in They Live, there to me there are three – Seminal quotes from this movie. Of course, the first one is I have come here to chew bubblegum. Yes. The, everybody knows that one, I think. There's also uh, Life's a Bitch and She's in Heat, <laughs> Keith David had. And I feel like there's three great quotes. Each kind of gets its own act in the movie. And you have the third, which is <laughs> the world needs a wake-up call and we're going to phone it in. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, the dialogue is so simple and so vague. How was it delivering one of those great carpenter quotes? <laughs> well, uh, I don't write it. I'm not paid to write it. <laughs> I'm just paid to try to make it believable. Uh-huh. And uh, and and that uh, the world we uh, that I had to laugh before uh, you know when I when I saw that. But you just have to throw full bravado. You know, you just go in and. Uh, and uh, pretend you're talking to somebody else, you know? <laughs> and and uh, try to be as believable as as you can. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons John actually hired me to begin with, because uh, I'd done a movie with Sandy. We did the Long Riders, and uh, she was a script supervisor uh-huh. on that. And she remembered me from the show, and 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 kept touting me to John after they got married. I think they met on. Uh, Starman, mm. and uh, and and married, and 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 uh, so she suggested me, and he called me in, and asked me to uh, read this script, Prince of Darkness, uh, and look at the part of Doctor Leahy, and see if I'd be interested in playing it. He said that he looked at some of my film. And he said you you you're very realistic. You play, you play. Uh, you're quite real. He says, and I, and I need those kind of actors because all of our stuff is so unreal. Yeah. Uh, we we take you to other areas of of disbelief, and uh, so the more believable the actor is, the more the audience buys what we're selling. Uh-huh. And uh, and he said, take it home and tell me what you'd like to do with the role. Which blew my mind because no one had ever asked me what I wanted to do with the world. They'd always told me what to do. Uh-huh. And I, I take direction well, you know. <laughs> Stand on your head and whistle, Dixie. What key, sir? You know. <laughs> and uh, so I took it home and I uh, read it and I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. But I called David Warner, the British actor, and uh, who was a wonderful actor. And he'd done a lot of horror movies. And, and I said, David, what do I want to do with this? <laughs> And he read it, and he said, well, I've always wanted to play a part where uh, I die and come back to life, where, where I die in, in horrible agony. And you can do this because you're being sprayed this fluid on your mouth, and you die in, in horrible pain. He said, and when you come back to life, you're still in the horrible pain, but you're, you're killing people, you know. But, but we, the audience would be sympathetic for you if you were in terrible pain. <laughs> And so I, I, uh, I, I told John about that when I came back after I'd read it. And I came up with some ideas. Now I know how to, what I want, you know. So I read it again and came up with several ideas. <clears throat> the last one being uh, there were seven people that were turned into uh, 
zombies. Yeah. And um, so I said, well, great, seven deadly sins. I'll be lust. <laughs> you know, it'll be great. And I'll be, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, gluttony. I'll be a brisk party. <laughs> and, uh, Your so lust I, and gluttony sounds are very similar, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> my lust and gluttony? <laughs> uh, and I came back and I told him about all David's idea and then my idea. And he, wait, wait he said, there's, there's seven of them? And seven deadly sin. I said, "Yeah, well, you 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 wrote it. I mean, you, you must know there were seven. He said, "Of course, I wrote it, but I didn't count them." <laughs> he said, "Now wait a minute, that's a great idea." I wrote idea. it, but I didn't read it. <laughs> said, that's a great idea. I get the seven deadly sins. Oh my gosh! And he starts thinking about it, and and he went. Oh no no I can't I can't do that we have to change it it's good no no forget it you do David's thing and and, then, and I and that's how we met and that's how he put me in that movie and uh, at a great time and I've I've been part of his family ever since yeah you certainly have I went and saw Prince of Darkness just recently at the church where it was filmed where you were also a guest for the Q and A how was I. You were fantastic. Fantastic. He was fantastic. That was fun. That was the first time I'd seen it in a while, too. Do you die in almost every Carpenter film you've been I die in, in every film. Every Yeah, you really <laughs> – that's a question I have because I that's have That's my prerequisite. I have this intense desire to be squibbed in a film and I noticed in They Live you get squibbed. That's how you meet your end. You're shot. What's it like to be squibbed, Peter? Well, I'll tell you that it's, it's, it's kind of fun. It's kind of exciting but ex- uh, if once – you know? Yeah. How many times have you been squibbed, would you estimate? Well, the worst one was I, uh, uh, the Long Riders, where the whole, all seven of the brothers come riding into town and they see me and my partner standing in front of the, and we threw a bomb in by mistake and killed the baby and, and, and blew the mother's arm off. And so the whole gang comes riding in and blows me away. And I had 19 charges Jeez. on my chest. With, with wires running down each leg, we're going off to both sides of the street with men manipulating the buttons so that it was, you know, and each one's it's like a leather piece of leather with a little packet in front of it uh, with uh, the explosive charge, which has to blow out. So you see the blood and guts come flying out towards the camera, which means it it, it explodes inward. Yeah. And uh, so it's like getting punched like 19 <laughs> times at the same time. And my nipples were raw after that one. I'll <laughs> tell you, it was. Uh, but it's it's fun to get it's fun to get shot. Ah, I'm very jealous. I mean, you could be in the running for the most squibbed man. <laughs> well, I think uh, there was uh, – it was – he told me it was the most that he'd ever done at that time. And he said the only one that he knew of that was – there were more squibs was Bonnie and Clyde. That's right, yeah. And then there's like James Kahn from uh, The Godfather when he's – Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that broke too. that record too. Yeah. Well, I'm simply using They Live as a segue into many uh, of your other great roles. We're going to take a quick break and come back. And we're going to start with Deadwood because I have something I want to tell you about Deadwood. Great. Okay. Was I in that? Peter Jason, you played Con Stapleton on Deadwood. Here's something you may or may not know. My soon-to-be sister-in-law is named Sarah Lund. She was the Bella Union whore that you take a bath with and do that whole submarine monologue with. Do you remember that? <laughs> do I remember it? It's on my reel. <laughs> Oh. It's the captain speaking. Yes. Send me up a fucking jar of champagne. <laughs> 
Captain, uh, this is a. <laughs> yeah, I, I had her on scene. this show to talk about that moment. So to have the two halves together like this is a, a oh, that would be great. Nice closure. Um, she remembers you so fondly, and she was otherwise a background actress, and that was pulled forward for that scene for that day. And she rose to the occasion. She was a fantastic, fantastic partner in that scene, and uh, it couldn't have been more uncomfortable for her sitting in water. Lukewarm water all day long, you know, as your skin begins to wrinkle up and crinkle up. And, you know, it's it was very uncomfortable for her in a, in a turn of the century or 1850s bathtub that like, you know, is not big enough for a real human. <laughs> uh, it was very and, and, and she was placed, you know, she had to be for the camera, had to be placed in different positions and and. uh what a trooper. I mean, she she was – she should have won the award, you know. <laughs> she was great. And uh, uh, we got along very well. I was, I was very proud of her. Oh, that's nice. That show is one of my all-time favorite shows. Now, HBO has said that they've basically greenlit a film – to finally conclude this series, have you heard anything more about it? No, well, you know, there's nothing been been nothing but rumors and rumors and rumors for this ever since we left. I don't know how they could possibly get us all together again, but I'm willing, and everyone I've spoken to is also willing. Uh, hopefully, they're lining something up. I know that they've got uh, Mr. McShane over there with uh, Game of Thrones, and. Uh, uh, and they've got a couple of other actors also in other series for HBO, so they're already under contract for them. Uh, Paula might be tough. Paula's already got another series. I know, on another rival cable network, too. Yeah. That's what she was saying. Yeah. You know? But everybody seems that it would be their first choice if they could do Timmy it. Timmy Oliphant has got, uh, they're on another network. He's on another with Justified. I don't know if is Justified I think finished. He might have ended. Uh, I know he was doing a play on Broadway last I heard. Uh, all of us are willing to come back. All of us want to come back. And I heard that Milch was was uh, contracted after the one he's doing now to write the, either the two two-hour movies or one yeah. four-hour movie or I don't know how they would do it. But it was supposed to end – there were five seasons. It was supposed to end uh, – each 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 season ends with a, some huge event like there was the, – the, the soldiers came into town on the first one, the, uh, the big wedding, uh, the big uh, – uh, each one ended in a big event, and it was supposed to be true to history. Uh, a flood covers the entire town of Deadwood, uh, and then the other one was it was raised on a fire, mm -hmm. uh, destroys the whole town and re rebuilt. That's, I believe, anyway. That those were the rumors that we heard that what the future led uh, for for Deadwood. What would you like to see happen to your character, Con Stapleton? Where do you imagine him 10 years later? Well, it was so great because I came in uh, as a friend of Walter Hill. I'd done a lot of Walter Hill movies, and he'd shot the pilot, and I think uh, he just threw me a bone and, and said, come on in and play this card player at the table. Well, it happened to be sitting next to Wild Bill, who gets blown away, and the guy, uh, the other actor who was playing Con Stapleton, if you'll read the credits of the first pilot, really, I'm playing a guy named Verdon or something like that, and, and, but we never mention our names. It's just in the credits, and uh, he wasn't available for the s for the first or second show, and so they made me con, con Stapleton, and uh, which I was very happy to do, and uh, I, I could. 
the first season, I, they make me the sheriff, and uh, I hope this I'm not giving too much away. Well, you already said that Bill was dead, so we can go all out. Wow, Bill's dead? Yeah, I'm sorry to say. I'm very sorry. <laughs> well, the first year, I'm, uh, I, I'm a sheriff. The second year... Uh, I become um, me and the uh, Larry Cedar, the dope addict. Uh, we become head of the uh, hookers in Chinatown. <laughs> and the third season, I become a sex addict. And it was the strangest thing that happened was because I believe David writes historically what happened in in, in Deadwood, but whatever he's heard last <laughs> at lunch or wherever. <laughs> minutes up to when you're about to shoot, Minutes right? up, because that's, that's when we get the script. Yeah. <laughs> it goes in the script. So here we had the big uh, luncheon when all the uh, uh, newscasters from all over America, I forget what the event's called, but they all come. There's a hundred and something of them. Oh, the upfronts? Is it? The, no. no, it's the uh, it's, uh, it's initials, like okay. the PGA or something. <laughs> it's not, all these golfers show up <laughs> with microphones. No, they all come out to the set. And uh, there's a panel, and I'm the lowest level of the panel. It starts with Milch in the middle and uh, uh, Ian and uh, Paula, and and the gang goes down, right? And I'm at the end. And they're fielding questions from the press from all over the country. It's a press day. And uh, no one's asking me anything. I'm clear at the end. I'm the lowest level you could possibly be. I'm lucky to be on the the board. And uh, Milch is answering most of the questions. Ian's answering a few. Uh, uh, Powers Booth, maybe Paula. And, a, and But most of them are, are handled by Milch. And finally, it's boiling hot outside. It's like 100 degrees, and we're ready. Everyone's fading, and it's getting – it's boring as hell. And uh, – <laughs> And uh, David says, well, well, let's have a couple of questions to the people who you haven't asked. And, and some guy from Pittsburgh says, uh, Con Stapleton, are you a real character? Or, uh, or, or was he invented by Mr. Milch? Or, uh, I said, I don't know. I said, the only reason I'm here is because Milch promised me a sex scene with Paula. <laughs> whack, 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 whack. They all laughed, right? With Trixie, I said, with Trixie. And... Uh, and then we ended. It was over. And, and people came up to me going, oh, man, you're great. Can I take an interview with you? Hey, you were really funny. Hey, you. I said one. I just I was just bored, you know. <laughs> and but that was the last thing Milch heard. <laughs> so the next episode. That's your character art comes from the that. next episode. The acting troupe comes to town and uh, uh, and. Uh, and I meet her at the uh, at the uh, at the uh, car at the crap tables, and, and I take her upstairs and have sex for obviously for the first time in many moons. <laughs> and then the next episode, I'm back at her door, banging on the door, tr- reading her this this love poem that I've written and, and can't quite memorize. There's a stallion at the door, and, a, uh, and it's open to the. Oh damn it! I pull a thing out, and I start reading it, and then she says, "Go away, Con. Come back tomorrow." Oh, all right. And the best thing was they had, they're shooting me with a, with a boner, right? It took five minutes to – which is a better lid on the, on the right side of the lid. They gave me a big cucumber, right? They stuck it in my pants. And uh, they're lighting it on the right side or the left side. Finally, we get it set. And I'm like, there's a stallion at the gate. And, the hover, you know. and it was all just one little five-minute scene. And bang, we finished. And they said, all right, that's a wrap for Peter. And so I pulled the cucumber out of my pants and I went – uh, 
wardrobe or uh, props? <laughs> and the crew all laughs. And then from the back of the crew, the guy yells, craft service. <laughs> Everybody cracked up. But, I mean, it was it was a joyous, joyous uh, place to work. It seems like it. At every level. Which is your best boner side, right or left? I believe they uh, bonered me up on the left. Okay, good to know. Although I am right-handed. Okay. Well, <laughs> you're well-balanced. Um, I'm going to take you through some of the things that you've done just to get your thoughts on them because I, I have so many questions here. You worked with Orson Welles, apparently not just as an actor but as a boom operator and a cook for the crew. Is that true? That's what I read online. I've done several movies with Orson and uh, including his last one, which has never been released yet. And, and, and there's a new book out on it called The Making of the Other Side of the Wind, The Other Side of the Wind, starring John Huston and uh, <clears throat> Frank Marshall, the, yeah, the world-famous the- producer of Kennedy and Marshall. And I grew, we grew up together. And uh, You and Frank Marshall? Yes. Oh, no kidding. And uh, he started working for Peter Bogdanovich right out of college and, and, and on, on uh, Targets and Last Picture Show and What's Up Doc and Long Last Love and uh, uh, the one with Barbara Streisand and, uh, and uh, I can't remember the name of it right now. Anyway, uh, he was working with them and, and, and Peter loaned Frank to Orson to do this movie. In uh, in Cave Creek, Arizona, and I get a call. I was in New York, starving, and uh, Frank calls says, uh, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm starving." <laughs> he says, "You want to be in a movie?" I went, "Yeah." He said, "Do you have to know any more about it?" I went, "No." <laughs> he said, "There's a ticket for you at JFK, and you're flying flying to uh, Phoenix." Great, and I and I landed in Phoenix, and they picked me up, and they drove me out to Cave Creek, Arizona, and where I drove in, uh, and we parked the car under the pool. It was a suspended home in the rocks of uh, Cave Creek, Arizona, where kind of where not too far from where Antonioni shot uh, and blew up that house in. Uh, uh, whatever that movie was called. They blew it up like seven times. <laughs> What's Up Doc? That was the one. I figured this is what What's Up Doc 2, you know? And and uh, Frank comes over to him and says, have you met him yet? And I, I think he means Bogdanovich. I go, no. He said, well, uh, I grab a T-bone. Sit down. We're having T-bone. I'm great. You know, I'm sitting down eating my T-bone and listening to John Houston talk to Mercedes McCambridge about some blue Cadillac convertible. And, uh, I'm, you know, trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. And I'm just very excited to be here. And all of a sudden, Frank goes, Peter. And I go, what? He says, come here. And uh, <laughs> I walk over, and here comes Orson Welles, weighing all 400 pounds. This is late a, era Orson Welles. Yeah, later. Right? Yeah. With, his, with his purple bathrobe uh, uh, closed and, and kept closed by gravity and uh, glasses around his neck, big cigar in his hand, script into the other hand, and, and – uh, U.S. Keds, high-top black tennis shoes, no laces, tongues flapped out, sliding across the floor toward me. And Frank says, uh, Orson, this is Peter Jason. He's going to be playing Marvin T. Fasterbender. And uh, Orson looks at me and stares at me, and he goes, well, you don't look anything like anybody. What? I have no idea what that even means. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if that means he hates me or likes me or what. But... He says, where's your script? Welcome to the family. Uh, Frank, give him a T-bone. And he slides away. He's just got T-bones ready to I go. I got T-boned by, <laughs> by the yeah. big O. <laughs> I go back to my T-bone, and I'm, I'm eating it a couple of bites, and I hear, Peter! And I go, oh, my God, he knows my name. I jump up, and I go running out. 
And he hands me a script. You know, he says, where's your script? And I said, well, Frank, uh, uh, Frank, bring me a script. Run, do not walk. And Frank gets a script and he comes out and gives it to me. And John Houston's standing in front of the rocks by the pool. And I'm off camera. And he says, you're reading uh, uh, Otter Lake's lines. And uh, this is a scene we shot with Lily Palmer in Spain two years ago. This is the reverse. So uh, he said, just let's read it once. And John Houston went, and I went, he went, Peter, don't act, just read the words. Yes, sir. Perfect. Let's shoot it. And that started me on that movie. And I was there for the next three months. I have one line in the movie, which I say several times. Uh, Hi, I'm Marvin T. Fasterbender from Duluth. <laughs> That's my line. And, and John Houston goes, of course you are. And I just keep saying it to the different people. I'm, it's a very, very strange, wonderful movie, and I hope it'll be released this year. And I hear from Frank Marshall that it will be, really? that all the contracts uh, with the, the daughter and the, the uh, Iranian millionaire who, had, who funded it for a while and the French producer, and the, they, they've all come together, and, uh, and it's being put together. Was the movie completed, or it, is it just— Pretty much. There, there were a couple of uh, scenes that were missing, like the explosion of a car and, and, uh, some in, and the music, and the, but, but all the scenes were shot— all all the people looped before they died, and, and I would say three-quarters of the cast is dead. Yeah. And uh, uh, But it's—they tell me it's coming out. Oh, wow. They just wrote a book about the making of, and uh, they had a thing in Vanity Fair about it. And um, so I want to see the document. They made a documentary on it, uh, and we got to tell all of our Orson stories <sighs> and all of our John Houston stories. That p- visual picture you paint of Orson Welles in the bathrobe, we have some rabid listeners to this show. Will somebody please do a drawing of that and send it in? I would love to see what that looks like. <laughs> uh, you were also in Gunsmoke, which is my namesake. I'm named after Marshall Matt Dillon. My grandmother was a huge oh, fan. Oh, 22 years that show was on. Yeah. I came in at the end. I came in the last three years, I guess, because you get to do – in those days, we got to do one a year. And uh, the business was totally different then. You, what do you, you mean you got to do one a year? Like you couldn't repeat? You couldn't be in the same season I see. twice. Because uh, you played Unless your character characters. was uh, right. repeating. But I, I played I, – I did three different guest stars. One, I was uh, – I was a f- kid with a fast draw in love with the it was a it was a Martins and the Coys kind of a family feuding and uh and I was a quick draw and then the real quick draw guy comes to town and I kind of cowered out and uh narrowly avoid your squibbing. Yeah. <laughs> the second one uh uh with Tony Zerby, I was part of his gang and we were bank robbers and uh uh um I got to shoot Matt Dillon in the head with a rifle. And then 15 minutes later, he, of course, arrests me and puts me in jail at the end of the show. But <laughs> How does he survive that? Do you just praise I, I, him? He's Matt Dillon, man. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> and uh, that one was one with uh, John Payne and Louise Lasser and Robert Pine. And uh, uh, it was the last one I did. And, and uh, uh, Bob Pine and I were brothers. I was the wild one. He was the normal one. And uh, there were some... Dub Taylor and Suge Fisher, two wonderful old character actors, uh, uh, 
found a dead cow on our property and they were cooking it. They were eating it. And uh, we, we knew who they were and we we're just kidding around, but we were pretending we were going to hang them for, for cattle rustling. And so we put one of them on a horse and, and tied his hands behind his back and, and the horse spooked and we actually hanged him. What? Yeah. And then we had to, oh my God, what are we going to do now? Dad's going to kill us, you know? And uh, so we buried him and his, his other partner had, had run away. And so... He, of course, tells Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon comes out. Turns out Matt had an old love affair with Louise Lasser. And, uh, uh, <laughs> that that one didn't turn out well either. <laughs> that's, I think that's the one I shot Matt in the head when he was coming to get us. And uh, <laughs> uh, Now, you come to me on this show because John Flansburg from They Might Be Giants contacted me and told me that he – was your son-in-law, correct? Correct. And that there's a story in my there? Da- his wife, Robin, is my daughter. Yeah. And is there some story in, in how you came to know him and your daughter that he said? There is. Yeah. Do we want to talk about it here? No, it's up to you well, completely. Yeah. I got a girl pregnant in college, and uh, <laughs> she gave the baby away without telling me about it. He so, hasn't told me the story, so I don't know. 44 years later, I got oh. an email. I'm, I've been married for 44 years. 44 years later, uh, I get an email saying, Hi. I'm Robin Sue Goldwasser from Nyack, New York, and you're my birth daddy. I went, hello. What year was this that this happened? This was like six years ago. Oh, my God. And uh, uh, it was, yeah, about six six years ago. And and uh, so she said, John and I are coming out for the Grammys. Can we meet? And I went, yeah. And she presumably knew who you were at this point, right? Had she some, took, you know, some research, knew you were an actor. After her, after the parents who raised her died, she started the search, and it took five years. And they don't allow adoptees to know anything about any. They, they give them no information, and so she kept hounding him and hounding him and hounding him for years, and and different case uh, uh, workers. And eventually, the first one that she went to called her up, and she said, "I know." who your birth father is. By law, I'm not allowed to tell you his name. But if I were to be your father, I probably would be the bartender in 48 hours. <laughs> and so she immediately went to IMDb, looked me up, found out who I was. And, uh, and she knew a friend who – she saw Deadwood on there. And she knew a friend that knew Molly from Deadwood and uh, – and Molly gave her my email. So she emailed me and she came out. I, I, I was like looking at my mother, you know, same voice, same laugh, same, you know, looks just like my mom. So, uh, you know, wow. I fell in love with her immediately. And, 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 and John was with her and we met and, uh, and it was on. We're I had to get a new phone uh, program because we were texting each other 80 billion times a day. Here's my, uh, what I'm having for lunch. I know, you there's know. so much to catch up on. Oh, we had, it was, God. it was, it was, it's been nonstop for I the last I can't imagine years. getting So much fun. I started making her some furniture. <laughs> I'm sitting in her birdhouses and, oh, great. And she's knitting socks for me. I mean, we, it was, it's full on, you know. That's full wonderful. On. To find out Love of our lives. Is. My wife is just like fantastic with it and it's been great. Yeah, they were just out here. We just saw them at the uh, at the El Rey. Oh yeah, yeah. They yeah. tore it up there. God, and she sings with them, and she sings like a bird. She's great. What a wonderful. We want to do a duet together. <laughs> do you know what song it would be? Well, we worked on a couple. Uh, 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 um, 
they were going to do children's songs, some children's songs, and we were going to do Inchworm, I think. <laughs> and uh, that was one of them. But I mean, we'll, we'll sing anything. Yeah. Well, I, I also I started that... off as a singer. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. I you did. did a lot of musicals. Nothing but right? musicals that's was right. my, the beginning of my career. I hear you're also quite a mouth trumpet player from uh, Prince, oh, of from Darkness. Prince of Darkness. And my friend Jay, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to play a few notes because he loves your. What did I play in Prince of Darkness? Something like that. Something like that. I have to tell the people listening, you're you're miming playing a guitar while you're doing that. Do you realize that you're doing that? You're sitting yeah, there like I'm, I'm a, uh, I think uh, probably picked it up from Joe Cocker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to do one last thing with you. This is a game that I call Role Association. I'm just going to name one of your credits, and in one word, you have to respond to it best you can. Okay? Golden Girls. Burt Reynolds. That's two words. <laughs> That's close enough. Names names will be one. 48 hours. First sober job. <laughs> That's three words. You know, I'll allow a phrase. That's okay. Howard Hawks' final film, Rio Lobo. Uh, the Duke. Hail Caesar. The Greatest. Steven Seagal's The Glimmer Man. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to end with that right there. <laughs> the Peter, worst. Yes. <laughs> Peter, Jason, thank you so much for being on the Matt's show. Matt, it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Right. Well, my thank you to Peter, Jason. I loved talking to him. My huge thanks to John Flansburg for putting this all together. And the story of how he ended up being Peter, Jason's son-in-law was fantastic. Also, thanks to Jay Cheel for providing me some question consulting. He's a carpenter expert. Check out his fantastic podcast, Film Junk, where they actually released a John Carpenter premium episode, which covers They Live, as well as many others. In fact, there are two volumes of the Carpenter films. Check it out at filmjunk.com. And thanks to you for listening. Steve, Melissa, Timmy, Cammy, Baby, all y'all. If you can connect me to a guest, please email me at iwasthere2pod at gmail.com. That's the only way I'll really see it. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, let's see, Letterboxd, at Matt Gorley. Also, at I Was There Too on Twitter. That's all for this week. Tune in next episode when my guest will be I Don't Know Yet. Haven't scheduled one. Hey everyone, Scott Ackerman here, and I want to tell you that the Comedy Bang Bang show is going on tour. We're on tour right now. Me. Paul F. Tompkins, Lauren Lapkus, Neil Campbell for half of it, and Mike Hanford for the other half. And you can get in on the madness even without a ticket by following Earwolf on Snapchat. We'll be taking snaps during shows on the road and behind the scenes. And remember, you can hear every single live show the next day on Howl. Use the code CBBLIVE at Howl.FM when you sign up. And you'll get one month for free. Thanks, and I'll see you soon in a city near you. Los Angeles, California! This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.